everyone. Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're new, we hope you'll settle in and become a part of what God's doing in here. Uh, right now, we're in a series in the life of Solomon called Cracks in the Foundation. His story as a king was told to explain why Israel was carried off into exile, and it helps us to examine the cracks in the foundation of our own lives and deal with them before they spread. Today, we're looking at Solomon's gold and how the pursuit of more became something that he was lost in. But he wasn't the first to do so, and he certainly won't be the last. The seduction and destruction of riches have left a trail of casualties. One of the more spectacular has to be Ike Batista. After studying metallurgical engineering and discovering he had a knack for sales, he got involved in the international gold and diamond trade from his homeland in Brazil. At 23 years old, with a half million dollar loan, he started a gold trading firm, and within a year and a half, the company had earned six million dollars. But that was just the beginning. He went on to start a series of companies focused on mining, oil and gas, shipping, and technology. As each company he founded went public, he became more and more rich. The media called him King Midas, and his extravagance matched his success. He was listed as the richest man in Brazil and the eighth richest person in the world. But all was not well. He bet too aggressively on his own abilities. His oil company overextended itself with risky investments in land that proved to be too difficult to pump. The company collapsed. This coincided with a downturn in the precious metals industry. Other management failures were then exposed, and finally he found himself caught up in a bribery scandal. In 2012, he had a net worth of more than $34 billion. But by 2014, he had a negative net worth of a billion. At one point, he personally lost $7 billion on a single day. Today, he sits with pickpockets and drug lords serving a 30-year prison term for bribery. He lost himself pursuing more, long after more could offer any material value to him. Once you have your first billion, it's not like another billion is going to improve your lifestyle. But that's the power that money can have in our lives. And while it's more spectacular to see the damage it can do in a person like Ike Batista, the reality is that we're faced with the same kinds of temptation and deception at less glamorous levels all the time. When was the last time you felt the pull for more? Does your bank statement make you feel proud or grateful or frustrated? Would people describe you as generous, content? Or does money make you do things that you regret? Do you end up cutting corners on God because money seems to talk louder than he does? Like Ike Batista, Solomon's life is a cautionary tale, but it illustrates several principles that can help us from getting lost in the pursuit of more. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 10 so you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll read 1 Kings chapter 10 verses 14 to 29. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. 
King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps and the throne had a round top. And on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests. While 12 lions stood there, one on each end of a step on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kuei. And the king's traders received them from Kuei at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. This is the word of God. Now in this passage, God gives three principles to save us from the pursuit of more. The first is that your gold is from God. We like to think that we made it, so we're owed it and we deserve it. But that's never the case. All that we have is a gift from God. And when we forget that, money stirs up both pride and independence in us. To live free of the pursuit of more, remember that your gold is from God. Now, when it comes to gold, Solomon had more of it than most. Verse 14 says that he received 666 talents of gold each year. Now, a talent was a measure of a 75-pound sack. So he was taking in about two tons of gold which would run you about $1.6 billion today. It was an enormous sum. But this was just a start. The next verse shows him raking money in from international trade expeditions, as well as kings and government governors who sought protection and trade deals with him. In verse 22, he has a fleet of ships that are sailing to Africa for trade and returning with ivory, apes, and peacocks as well as more gold and silver, of course. The fact that they had to make a three-year round-trip journey tells you how extensive his operations were. And no doubt, each one of these ventures required skill and planning, negotiation and diplomacy. Solomon knew he had something special. So he wouldn't be surprised to see the description of himself in verse 23. That's where it says, 
King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. But someone who has achieved so much is tempted to think they're responsible for it. Yeah, they're making a lot of money, but it's because they're better than other people and they work harder than other people. And as soon as you begin to think like that, money begins to gain power in your life, begins to change you. Solomon was like Ike Batista level rich, but he had been told ahead of time where his riches would come from. In 1 Kings 3.13, God appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Solomon was a rich man, but the riches were all from God. He was held in honor, but the honor had been given to him by God. And while God may not have appeared to us a dream to tell us that, his word makes it clear that it's true of each one of us. Whatever we have is a gift from him. Now that's not to say that money drops out of the sky or that God delivers us envelopes of cash, but he personally and individually gives each one of us certain skills and discipline and opportunities to earn an income. And so what we have is ultimately from him. For instance, 1 Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. Then in Deuteronomy, the same truth is stated as a warning. In chapter 8, verses 17-18, it says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Then in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul puts it like this. Why do you, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? When you remember that your gold is from God, it makes you feel grateful instead of entitled takes the steam out of your pride and self-righteousness. Remembering that your gold is from God helps you to see people who have less with greater compassion. It also takes the envy that you might have toward others with more and recognize that God may just have a different role for them. And when you see that your gold is from God, you can't help but ask what he's given it to you for. And that leads us to the next principle that saves us from the pursuit of more. Not only is your gold from God, but your gold isn't all for you. God gives us what we have to accomplish his purposes. And of course, one of those purposes is providing for our needs. But beyond that, he's expecting us to manage what he gives us to meet the needs of those around us and invest in the opportunities he calls us to. Your gold isn't all for you. Now, this is a principle that Solomon never seems to have figured out. And frankly, it doesn't come naturally to many of us. We saw the incredible amounts of gold that were pouring into Jerusalem. But watch what Solomon does with it. In verse 16, he has 200 large shields of gold made. Each one of them contained half a million dollars worth of gold. The smaller shields in verse 17, they had about $125,000 of gold in them. And these were just used for decoration. It's not like they were sending people out into battle with such expensive weapons. 
They might be brought out for a parade, but otherwise they were sitting around collecting dust. In verse 18, it says, the king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. Now, I don't know too much about construction, but I know that if you're gonna overlay a throne with gold, it doesn't really matter what material you use underneath. Particle board will probably do just fine. If you're gonna cover it with a precious metal, that is. Now, an ivory throne in itself would be stunning if you could overlook the elephants that were probably killed to provide it. But an ivory throne overlaid with gold, it's just excessive. It's like Solomon has so much gold, he's running out of ways to use it. That's why he decides to swap out all of his cups in verse 21 and replace them with gold ones. And it's not so much that we're second guessing all of Solomon's buying decisions or whether or not it's appropriate for a king to have some luxury goods and decorations. But this is all we're ever told of how he uses his money. There's no description of the building projects he undertook to help people's lives. He didn't improve irrigation or access to drinking water or public transportation routes. He just assumed that all the money that kept pouring in was for him. And God had told, them that it, told him that it wasn't. Deuteronomy 17 gives instructions for kings, and it's, it specifically says this, that he is not to acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. See, God had made Solomon rich, but not so that he could buy gold lawn chairs. God calls us to manage the money he gives us according to his purposes and his priorities. He calls us to look to the needs of others. The gold is never all for you. Now, that's a principle that's hard to remember. Forget gold for a moment. I even find the principle hard to remember when I open the refrigerator. <laughs> if I come across the last two pieces of leftover pizza, I'm already thanking God for his provision. It doesn't naturally occur to me that there might be someone else in the family who needs it more than me, or that I probably don't need more pizza anyway. I need to be reminded that it's not all for me. And reminding us of this is one of the ways that God seeks to protect us from getting lost in the pursuit of more. Because when we start to fixate on the money, it takes over in our lives. The Bible speaks of the love of money because we can be seduced by it. We make sacrifices for it. We dream about it. We long for it. But it's a cruel lover. And the more we give ourselves to it, the more dissatisfied we become. Ecclesiastes 5.10 warns this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Now, we love money when we start to meet our needs in our lives that money was never designed to meet. We use our money to feel important or accepted or worthy or successful. That's the only reason that a person like Ike Batista would risk jail time to make more money when he already had more than he could ever possibly spend. And it's the same reason we misuse money and struggle to find contentment in it today. Hear the appeal of Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Does that verse sound strange? 
don't love money, be content, because I'll never leave you. What does the second half have to do with the first half, right? The point is, we can only ever experience contentment with our money when we put money in its place and look to God for only what he can, what he can fill us with. His presence, his peace, his forgiveness, his acceptance, his security. He's the one who satisfies. And when we fixate on money instead, it leaves us feeling empty instead of full. Your gold isn't all for you. Your gold is from God, and he's charged you with managing it for his purposes. Clement of Alexandria said this, In the end, it's not the one who keeps, but the one who gives away who is rich. And it's the giving away, not the possession, which renders a person happy. Don't get lost in the pursuit of more. Remember your gold is from God, and it isn't all for you. But also remember that your gold can't hide your compromise. Money can make some people look the other way, but sin always catches up with us. Your gold can't hide your compromise. Now, while they were expected to follow the same laws as anyone, Israelite kings were given four specific rules that are outlined in Deuteronomy 17. They were to copy out the first five books of the Bible so they would have their own personal edition to read and remember. Then they were to avoid amassing silver and gold for themselves. And we already talked about how Solomon blew that one. They were commanded not to acquire many wives, and we'll deal with that one next time. And finally, they were given this command in verse 16. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in, in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. God wanted Israel to rely on him for security, not on their military arsenal. So amassing horses was out. And so was an alliance with Egypt. He knew that if Israel turned to Egypt for horses, they'd probably get mixed up with their religion as well. Solomon had to know this. He almost certainly would have had religious advisors, and he was supposed to read from the law himself anyway. But there's something about success that makes it hard for us to listen. If you've got more gold, then you've got more power, and other people's words don't seem to count as much. Verse 26 tells us that Solomon had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Verse 28 tells us that the horses were from Egypt. So Solomon was disregarding God on both counts. In fact, the last verse of the chapter shows him exporting military horses to the Hittites and the Syrians. Solomon had become an international arms dealer, and there was no reason for him to do so. He would still have had more money than he could ever spend if he had drawn a line with the Egyptian horses, but in rejecting God, he forfeit the blessing of God. Within five years of his death, in 1 Kings 14, 25 and 26, it says this. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. All those horses that 
Solomon had spent so much money on, they couldn't protect him. All the treasures he had stored up were taken. Those half million dollar shields were stolen. And the richest period in Israel's history just faded from the scene with little to show for it. The reality is that for all of us, whether at our death or before, the day will, become, the day will come when the gold is all gone. Does your life reflect that? Or do you find yourself lost in the pursuit of more? God has given you principles to keep you from losing yourself. But until you've met the one who embodies those principles, it's difficult to feel their power. Jesus gave up the gold and the glory of heaven to come to this earth. He's a greater king than Solomon, but he was born in a feeding trough rather than an ivory throne. He never lived in a palace, and in fact, he spent most of his earthly ministry homeless. He gave up his riches to come to us, and he gave up his comfort to serve us. But at just 33 years old, at a time that most people would consider the prime of life, he gave up everything for us. He gave up the opportunity to marry and have children. He gave up the chance to reap the earthly rewards of his ministry. He even gave up the enjoyment of the friendships that he had built. And he died on the cross as a criminal. Above his head was the only charge that the Romans made against him. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. He was the king who knew that his gold was from God. He was the king who knew that his gold, even his life, wasn't all for him. He knew that gold can't hide our compromise. But he knew that by his death, he could cover our sins. By dying the death that we deserved, he could give us the life that he had given up. If you're lost in the pursuit of more this morning, the cross is where you find yourself. Find what you've been looking for. Because what you've been looking for in money, you can find in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The riches in him satisfy. Give yourself to them. Seek them through faith. Seek them in his word. Feed on them through his promises. Because if you do, he will welcome you one day into a golden city, a paradise where it's not just the king who enjoys the gold. Come to in, come to in faith today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we have a greater king than Solomon. I thank you that we have a king in Jesus Christ who is willing to give up his riches. That he gave of his life and he came to serve. Father, we live in a world where we are bombarded with messages urging us to seek more, telling us we deserve more, stirring up within us discontentment and greed. So fix our eyes on Jesus who, who went before us and who lived out these principles in our place. Thank you, Father, for the gifts that you give. Help us to use them for your glory and for the good of those around us.
may you be glorified as we do. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to re-examine your relationship with money and find hope in a Savior who's given up so much to set you free. If it's raised questions or if you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.